have you ever been so caught up in sin that you've worried you've been forsaken by God? That he's given up on you? Um, that he's turned his back on you? Left you to your own devices? Is the increase of evil the worsening way of the world? Does it ever make you feel afraid that God has either shut the book on us and given up? Or maybe in the dark, when no one's listening, has it all made you maybe question his existence altogether? The Bible's filled with stories of God's very own people doubting him, even forsaking him. It's filled with stories of people overwhelmed by their own sinfulness. And yet this beautiful theme uh, begins that will run through all of Scripture, really begins to emerge here tonight for such wayward people. Amazingly, without explanation, God appears to Jacob in this text to assure him that he is going to be with him and he is going to bless him. The Lord will be with Jacob wherever he goes. But this scheming Jacob, remember, will become Israel. So the text wants to remind them, as they would have read it, that the Lord will be with Israel wherever they go. Imagine Israel reading this as they are at the border of the promised land. After being in slavery in Egypt for so long, how would they hear that message? The Lord will be with you wherever you go. Imagine hearing this message in the land of Canaan itself as um, hostile enemies invaded the country. Edom, Moab. Philistia, Assyria, how would they hear that message when their very existence was threatened by enemies? Imagine hearing it later in exile in Babylon, certain that time that, that God has really forsaken you, that it's really over. His promising word no longer applies to you. Jacob is about to go into a kind of exile of his own for about 20 years here. He had taken advantage of his brother Esau's hunger, bargained him out of his birthright. Remember, he had stolen the blessing meant for the older son by pure deception with the help of his mother. He had blasphemed the name of the Lord to his father to secure it for himself. And we read at the end of chapter 27 that this will cost him, right? He has to flee for his life, go to his uncle Laban, leaving his family and his home behind for who knows how long, as far as he's concerned. If you remember the ending of chapter 26, then you'll remember that Isaac and Rebekah's older son Esau had married two Hittite women, betraying his grandfather's legacy not to marry Canaanite, since God had called him out from the world. That problem resurfaces here at the end of chapter 27. Look at verse 46 here quickly as we set this up. He says, or the text says, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life. Because of the Hittite women. These are the women Esau had married. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? In 28, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Rebekah, doesn't want her favorite son to also marry foreign women. She needs to send him away anyway because Esau wants to kill him. So the pattern of sending the son away to find a, a wife among his own people is repeated. 
Remember when Isaac sends his son now, Jacob, to Laban in Paddan Aram, where the servant of Abraham found Rebekah for Isaac so long ago? Same place, same house. So Isaac has at least begun to accept the fact that Esau will not be the child of promise. That is really passed to Jacob, the deceiver, the younger son. So we read these words in verses 3 through 5 of 28. He says to Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother, Isaac, blesses his wayward son with the words of the original covenant to Abraham. So he's certainly at least hoping that uh, God will decide to be gracious and keep all of this going. We pick it up in verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabaioth. So Esau still wants to secure the blessing for himself. So he's going to try now to finally honor his father's wishes. But remember, the word of God was irrevocable. That doesn't mean he wouldn't try, right? After all, the blessing was Jacob's. That was clear. But Jacob has left the promised land. So maybe it can fall to Esau anyway. Now that Jacob is gone, Jacob had tried everything to scheme Esau's birth right away. But now he has to flee. And as we pick up verse 10 tonight, Jacob is a fugitive running for his life, even though the blessing had been promised to him. He got away from Esau, yes, but he also, to do that, has to leave his parents. It's a much different thing then than it is now. Leave the promised land itself, the land that was supposed to be his. So what will become of Jacob? What will become of the blessing? The author wanted Israel to know that the Lord would be with them wherever they went, wherever they found themselves. But the word of God also wants to comfort his church tonight, beloved, that he will be with us. Wherever we go, wherever we steer the ship, wherever the wind takes us, this is the promise of Jesus. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. So let's pray, and then we'll read this story. Father, please watch over me tonight. For your name's sake, for your word, for the truth be with me. Overshadow me. God, have your way. For the sake of your people, for the sake of those that will hear, may they believe and understand, Father, all of us together. We ask and pray these things, for these things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. story begins in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. God had called Jacob's grandfather Abraham in the land of Haran. The Lord promised Abraham and his offspring the land of Canaan. But now it looks like... Jacob is not going to receive this land after all. Esau is there. So Jacob has to travel 400 miles north. It's where he's going. It's going to take about a month. Anything could happen on the way. But the author is about to zero in on just one night 
in this great journey. Look at verse 11. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. The author uses the word place three times in one sentence. There's something about this place is what he's telling us. Jacob doesn't know it, but this is the very place where his grandfather Abraham had built an altar to the Lord when he reached the promised land back in Genesis 12.8. But this wasn't Jacob's God, at least not as far as Jacob was concerned at this point in his life. Jacob had never met him, probably heard his parents, maybe his grandparents talk about him, but he didn't know him. But thankfully, Jacob just happened to stop at this very special place for the night. He's a fugitive running from his own sin, running from retribution. He's a fugitive forced to sleep out in the open country. It's very dangerous. People, animals, who knows what could happen. But he's been on the run. He's tired, so he finds a level place, and he falls asleep. And we pick it up in verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God will... Um, <clears throat> often reveal himself in dreams throughout Scripture. Think about Joseph, which we'll read of later. And he does so here to this blasphemous deceiver, Jacob, the runt of the litter, so to speak. Jacob sees a ladder, a stairway of sorts, set up on the earth with the top going all the way up and reaching in to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Heaven and earth are not entirely separate worlds, then, it turns out. There's a ladder that links heaven and earth, and God's messengers, the angels, go up and down on it, presumably doing work on the earth and going back to report things to the Lord. For at the top of the ladder stands the Lord himself. Our Lord Jesus, later in John, will refer to this dream when Philip brings Nathanael to him in John chapter 1, and Jesus says, Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus compliments Nathaniel here, you aren't like Jacob, the deceiver, right? Here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel wanted to know Jesus, how Jesus knew him, and he tells him, well, I saw you under the fig tree, and Nathaniel cries out, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. It's what Jacob saw in his dream, only this time there was no ladder. There's only Jesus. Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. He is the connection. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will come to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. But on this night, so long before he came, Jacob sees an actual ladder. And I wonder what he thought as he dreamt, or if he did, he's on the run because of his own horrible actions. You aren't expecting to meet with God in a special way when you're on the run because you've been horrible. He's deceived his father. He's used the Lord's name in vain. Is God showing Jacob the ladder because God is about to come down on it and curse him? No, the Lord doesn't curse Jacob here. He blesses him. Inexplicably, in the narrative of the story, we go from Jacob the deceiver to Jacob being blessed personally by God. 
Look at verses 13 through 15. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. The God of his fathers gives him the same promise he gave to Abraham in 12.7. To your offspring, I will give this land. But Abraham received that promise when he came to the land. Jacob is on his way out of the land. So the first thing God does for him is reaffirm the promise of the land. Then in verse 14, God extends all the covenant promises he had given to Abraham at various times to Jacob. Beloved, take note of this tonight. This man is a scoundrel, and he wasn't looking for God. He wasn't seeking God. He wasn't trying to make sense of his life, but God was looking for Jacob. He sought him out to tell him that all these wonderful promises given to Abraham and Isaac will now be given to him. Jacob, the supplanter, in whom there is nothing but deceit, will receive the blessings God had given to the patriarchs, and it's all by God's initiative. Jacob has done nothing to earn this. In fact, he's only done things which would deserve God's curse, not his blessing. But what has been the main issue in Jacob's life? He's tried to grasp the blessing for himself. What is the Bible showing us? That we can't grasp or take God's blessing for ourselves, no matter how hard we work to do that, no matter what we're able to pull off, we won't be able to grasp it for ourselves. If we're going to have it, it will have to be granted to a people who don't deserve it, or it will never be fulfilled. And God isn't done here with Jacob. He gives a personal promise here to the man that is running away from the promised land. In 17.7, God told Abraham that he would establish his covenant between them and his offspring throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now God is telling Jacob all that that actually means. In verse 15, again, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. So it doesn't matter where he goes. God is going to bring him back for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. He's reiterating the fact that he's going to keep that word to Abraham. When God told Abraham he would be God to him, he meant first of all, then behold, I am with you. Jacob is leaving the promised land here, but he will not be alone in a foreign land where he doesn't belong. God will go with him there. God is not one of the local tribal deities who's confined to protecting his own territory. And he can't go elsewhere because he's not in charge elsewhere. No, 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 no. He's not like this. God crosses borders with his people. He goes with them. Then God tells him, I will keep you wherever you go. I am with you. I will keep you. Right? That's shepherd talk. Like a shepherd, God will protect Jacob, this is Israel's God protecting his sheep wherever they go. And then I will bring you back 
to this land. So unlike Cain, Jacob will not be a fugitive for the rest of his life. Right? See, Jacob is the seed of the woman. He won't be a fugitive for the rest of his life. He won't even live as a resident alien all his life in a foreign land. The Lord will bring him back to the land of his birth, the promised land. Finally, the Lord pronounces the comprehensive word on Jacob that settles it all. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, Jacob, I am not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you. Count on me because wherever you go, I will go with you. I will be there with you. Beloved, there isn't another word for what we're reading here than pure grace. And this is what's been extended to us. This is the heart of God for us tonight, beloved. Jacob had been a supplanting sinner really since the day of his birth. He's a lying, callous deceiver who would do anything to get what he wanted. He deserves God's curse. That's the sum total of his choices. And he receives God's grace with no strings attached. Look at verses 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob was afraid. Right? He was afraid, just like Isaiah would be, when he too received a glimpse of Heaven in Isaiah 6, the sinner has seen the Holy Lord of hosts and he's undone. And he doesn't know what to think. He thinks this must be the house of God. This is where the gate of heaven is. It was the place God is revealing where heaven and earth were connected. Verse 18, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel or Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Jacob awakens early in the morning, sets up the stone he had slept on as a pillar. He consecrates it with oil as a shrine to the Lord that he had seen in his dream, calls the place Bethel, the house of God. The narrator then looks quickly at his audience, breaks the third wall, says it used to be called Luz, formerly a Canaanite city. Now it's Bethel. This is that place. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So Jacob makes a vow. Now, Jacob is a deceiver. Is he trying to strike a deal with God then? even after God has made him unconditional promises. I don't think that this is insincere, right? I, I, I don't think Jacob, I, I think, I don't think the weight of that dream would go away that quickly for one thing, but also the wording here makes this a formal vow. This isn't like Jacob is just spouting off of the mouth, making some kind of quick deal. This is a vow. Jacob, something is happening to him. Jacob is taking God at his word, and binding himself to reciprocate God's action with his own dedication. Jacob promises to return a tenth of what the Lord gives him. Jacob is changing. 
somehow, some way. He was once the supplanter, the grasper. Now he becomes the giver. Notice that the central message or the central to the message of this vow for Jacob is the message of God's presence and protection that have been revealed in this text. That's what he's repeating back. If God will be with me and will keep me, God will repeat this promise later to Jacob when it's finally time to return all the way up in Genesis 31. I will be with you, he tells him. And again, when he's old, all that we're going to see happen to Jacob, God tells him then in 46, I will go down with you to Egypt. God will be with this supplanter wherever he goes, regardless of what's happened in his past and who he's been. That's what grace is. That's what grace does. Israel will experience this in their history. The Lord bless you and keep you, number six, right? When the name of nation of Judah was afraid they were about to be annihilated by their enemies in Isaiah 7, what does God tell them? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, you know what that means, God with us. Even when Israel is punished for her sins by being exiled to Babylon, God promises, God keeps talking like this to a wayward, rebellious people all through the Bible. Isaiah 41, Isaiah 43, do not fear, I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. Right? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. But beloved, God's promise that he will be with his people finds its ultimate fulfillment not in the dream of a ladder in a place called Bethel, but in a person named Jesus Christ. Matthew will quote that text from Isaiah 7 at the announcement of Jesus' birth, that, look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was the ultimate proof that our God is and will be with us. That that promise is never going away. He is the proof that there's no longer a ladder, but a person who stands between us so that heaven and earth may commune with one another. That's part, at least, of what Matthew 28, 20 means that we talked about at the beginning A ladder is no longer necessary because I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Of the ages. God promised Israel that he would be with them wherever they would go. They're remembering this as they read that text. So Jesus promises his church that he will be with us wherever we go. That's the function of this text for the church tonight, beloved, to comfort you and I. To comfort you and I. How awesome is this place? Any place, that is, where Jesus is. For there is the house of God. There is the gate of heaven, beloved. You realize that everywhere you and I stand is holy ground because Jesus lives and dwells in us by his spirit. He's not going to depart from or forsake us. We're meant to live with the confidence that through Jesus Christ, the connection between heaven and earth, between God and humanity, has finally been restored. Beloved, we are not 
on our own here. We never are. We have never been abandoned. We've never been forgotten. Our God has not changed His mind. He will not go back on His promise. God is with us on this journey to the true and final promised land, wherever we might roam in the in-between. He doesn't leave. Wherever we might go, or wherever we might be taken against our will, He will not leave us. Remember that word, which is really such a heavy word from Jesus to Peter in John 21, when when He's telling him, Peter wants to know, or I believe it's John that wants to know what will become of of me. And Jesus is basically saying, don't worry about other people. Be concerned about yourself. But he tells Peter, when you get older, someone will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And I think he's speaking there of his death, his martyrdom. God will be there too. God will be there too. He will cross oceans and mountains, and rivers, and roads to be with us. Stay with us. That's the thing. He's always there. Who else is like that? Who else is like that? With our best intentions, we can't always be there for people. When when the girls were little, before we had Carmine, um, each night... I would tuck them in bed, and I would say this prayer to them. I would, I would say, I just, just remember this. This is not in my notes. I just remember this. So let me see if I can remember the words. We think, rest, little lambs, do not be afraid. Where daddy cannot go with you, the Lord will call your name. Sleep tight. You are not alone. I can't remember the last line. But in that, in that prayer, it's been a long time. They wouldn't put up with that now. They'd shut me out of the room, but <laughs> they would. I'm kidding. I, but the, I remember thinking at the time that that, that I, I, that was true, that there would be places I couldn't go with them. There would be a time in life where I couldn't be that to them anymore, right? God willing, it will pass to a husband who will take care of them. If they don't get married, which, which, it's for God to decide ultimately. Then I pray wherever they go, they'll be safe. They'll be cared for. But the reality is I can't go with them everywhere. And it doesn't matter how much I love them and care about them, right? I, I can't do it. It's, it's, it's not possible. This God has extended a ladder between heaven and earth, but the ladder's been pulled up because Jesus has come. And so there isn't a place you and I can go that he cannot or will not go with us and we always think in our minds, yes, but would he want to go with me? Right? Have I, have, am, am I worthy of such a presence? No, but it will be there anyway. That's, that's the beauty of this promise. It's, it's ours and it hasn't been earned. That's the amazing thing. The opposite has happened. Not only have I not earned it, I've done everything to lose it and be cursed. And yet this amazing promise of his presence stands with us. Jacob needed to know it. Israel needed to know it as they read it. We have the word because God wants us to know it. Because in Christ, these promises fall to us because we're in Him. We benefit from who and what Jesus is. We might face moments or times in our lives when we genuinely feel like we've been forgotten by God. 
if not completely forsaken by him. And, and, and there probably won't be any dreams to reassure us that the opposite is true. Now, there may be no question, but it's not common. So what do we cling to in those moments? We cling to this promise. We cling to this word. Maybe our struggle with besetting sins makes us feel forsaken, that that's a burden, right? We might try, but we just can't seem to find our way back to feel like we used to feel when everything was really good. Do you ever miss the past? Do you ever miss times with the Lord when you felt more close than you did in other times? I think that's a part of the ebb and flow of our lives as Christians, beloved. I think there are times we're going to feel closer and things are just going to feel better and we're going to feel more confident and and then there are going to be other times where because of sin or whatever, we don't feel that way. And, 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 and the Bible comes along to say, it doesn't matter how you feel. That's not, your feeling is not how I make my presence known to you. The word is how I make my presence known to you. That's how it's guaranteed. It's in these moments especially that we have to remember his word. The promise of his blessing was never something we were going to be able to grasp or to hold on to by our own effort. The grace that saved us is and will always be a gift that can only be received, believed upon, to be possessed. And in the gospel, beloved, that's what Jesus is doing. He's inviting us to take this, to receive this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's what he's like. And you will find rest for your souls. That's what I'm counting on. It's all I'm counting on, to be honest with you. That Jesus isn't going to go back on his word. That all of these amazing promises apply even to me. That's all I'm counting on at the end of the day. Now, I'll forget that. I forget it all the time that that's all I'm counting on, but I don't trust anybody else, most of all myself, to hold on to this. If you want to hear a beautiful song, there's a song by an artist named John Mark McMillan called Counting On. It's worth a listen. But Jesus came to settle the question tonight, to ease our burden, to ease our worry and our anxiety about whether or not we have any hope, right? Whether or not in spite of our past and all we've done, that God would indeed be with even us. But heaven has come down to earth in the person of God's Son. We don't have to climb our way up the ladder to get to Him. We just need to be embraced and held by a Savior whose back is strong enough to carry us all the way home. Let Jesus scale the ladder. You just hang on to his back. And if you fall off, he'll catch you. And his hands are strong enough, and his shoulders are strong enough, and his back is strong enough to carry the weight of the world. He can handle a few more pounds, or a lot more pounds. Don't worry. All by a gift of pure, irrevocable grace even for the worst of us. He is God with us wherever we go and however we got there. Rest in Christ.
tonight. Rest in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this promise. We thank you for your mercy to Jacob so many thousands of years ago. We thank you for what you revealed to us about yourself in this text. We, we know we aren't better than Jacob, but we know you save Jacob and worse. So Father, comfort our hearts tonight with the promise that you will be with us and not leave or forsake us. This was the word of Christ to the church. And all it was is the echo of what had been said thousands of years before him. So, Father, we trust in you. We count on you. Lord, be with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Before I dismiss you, can I just share with you very quickly? I wish I would have thought of this. In that song that I told you about counting on by John Mark McMillan, there's a, he's a very, 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 good writer of songs and he says in that song there in the in the hook he says i'm throwing stones up at your window i love that line in other words it's the image is that that he's just trying to get god's attention right and just just the 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 image there that god is listening that he'll come to the window that he'll because the whole expression of the song is, is you're what i'm counting on you so I'm throwing stones against your window. I'm, I'm, I just, I love that. I'd love to leave you with that image tonight. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Be safe. Be healthy. And uh, I'll see you again very soon.